0: Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That? A radio show about anything and everything happening in our community, our city, and our world.
1: Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. All right, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Welcome to another episode of What Do You Know About That?
2: Happy Thanksgiving! Yay! Yay. How's it going, Mary Angela? It's going good, Eric. How are you?
1: I'm... Quite full, <laughs> as is
2: everyone I hope. Or getting ready to sit down and and eat because it's only like four o'clock in the afternoon. Although some people eat at like two.
1: Yeah, I like to get my grub on pretty early. Yeah, me
2: too. you know
1: because I, I I intend to spend most of the afternoon planted on the couch. <laughs> That's my goal, my Thanksgiving goal. There you That's go. That's what I'm thankful for. Th- awesome. The couch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm thankful for good friends and a good year and this radio show.
1: Yeah, no doubt.
2: So, what's going on this day in science?
1: Well, since you've asked, this day in science, on November 24th, Thanksgiving, on this Thursday, back in 2009, Darwin's On the Origin of Species celebrates its 150th Anniversary. Now, this is something I can get behind. Originally published on this day in 1859, Charles Darwin on the Origin of Species celebrated its 150th anniversary in 2009. The book, whose initial print run immediately sold out, is one of science's landmark texts, detailing Darwin's travels throughout the world and specifically the Galapagos Islands off the coast of Ecuador. On the Origin of Species popularized the heady work of zoology and geology in a way that captivated even non-scientists and brought the realms of science and public life together in ways that had rarely been seen. Hmm. Despite a century and a half of innovations and exploration, critical tenets of Darwin's books have stood the test of time, an impressive feat considering the limitations of his day.
2: Yeah, wow. I didn't realize that that book wasn't older than that, but I guess that makes sense because he wasn't that old.
1: (laughs) Well, you know what's really interesting? Because I read some texts about Darwin. It was like many things that go on to be, say, great. At the time, wasn't really considered great at all. Yeah, There was – anytime you publish anything in the scientific community – usually the status quo will push back. Mm-hmm. And he got a lot of pushback on this particular body of work. And what's interesting was it wasn't really something that, from my understanding, had wholeheartedly, like, was was trying to persuade the community. It was simply just one piece of a long string of research that he had been doing. But, you know, it just over time, through debate and... Uh, I guess acceptance from the the larger public became a very popular piece of work. But interestingly, a lot of his work was focused on studying barnacles. Barnacles, barnacles. yeah. So you you know what barnacles are? Yeah.
2: What was the fascination with that? I went. Well,
1: it's it's I guess it's just a weird thing with anyone who's into like zoology. They tend to pick like a species of animal and they just focus most of their life's work around that. So his hmm. work was on. I don't know like mating and and various aspects tied to barnacles and their existence <laughs> so go figure all but right you, you don't you don't see people talking about that body of work so much
2: yeah no not so much not not the Darwin barnacle studies
1: <laughs> no not at all
2: but that that's interesting the origin of species yeah that's there's there's a lot of things in there he, <laughs> he, he did a lot he did a lot of research for that one
1: well considering it Creates the foundation of this this idea of adaptation, which you could even take it down to the molecular level, and you can talk about the study of epigenetics, and that's like a whole other tangent. I won't sure. go down that road, but it's truth, okay? Just okay. so everyone knows, it's truth. <laughs> it's not it's not a myth. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, what's going on in the neighborhood?
2: A couple things going on in the neighborhood. First of all, if you like walking in the Wissahickon, as most of us in this area do, the Wissahickon Woods, um, FYI, there have been some cases of rabid animals popping up um, on the walk. Um, They reported some raccoons that were particularly um, disoriented and aggressive. That is a key sign of rabies. Um, haven't been attacking people. It's been pets. So just watch out for your pets. Keep your pets on a leash if you're walk- walking in the Wissahickon. But it even made it so far up as into some. Backyards and some homes here uh, in the neighborhood as well because our friends the groundhogs have been around uh, recently and there was a case of a rabid groundhog who became very aggressive and bit a dog or scratched a dog and the dog got rabies and so that means the groundhog was rabid probably from a raccoon or something else that the groundhog had been scrapping with but you know we see groundhogs all the time we have them they come in uh, under our shed and into our backyard to eat our delicious over um and since it's you know we're at the tail end of the season where they're gonna start hibernating soon just heads up if you see a cute groundhog in your backyard they might not watch out rabies okay so just you know heads up for your pets keep your eyes open Uh, The other thing I wanted to mention was something that we talked about. I can't even remember what episode it was now, but we talked about those gas-powered leaf blowers and how awful Mm -hmm. they were and how people on this app were talking all about, like, what can we do? What can we do? Well, guess what? There is now an official petition to ban them from the neighborhoods in Philadelphia.
1: Oh, nice.
2: So um, if you want to sign said petition, you can find it um, with a quick Google, but um, quietcleanphilly.org is the website where uh, people are getting a lot of information about this. And I believe the petition is there too. So if you hate those loud leaf blowers that wake you up on Saturday mornings mm. when you're trying to sleep in and or do anything outside, <laughs> there's usually oh, yeah, a leaf noise blower pollution. Going. Yep. Right. Also, you know, it's it's not just the noise. Those gas-powered ones, they stink. Like, I've walked, like been walking from the bus past somebody who's using one, and they just, like, you can smell the fumes from, like, you know, half a block away. It's just, it's pollution on a lot of levels. So uh, I'm a fan of saying no to those, but that's just me. So if you are too, you can get more information on there, quietcleanphilly.org. Check it out.
1: Nice. Well, there was just the big, was it GT Summit? in Europe recently.
2: Oh, was that recent? I must have missed that.
1: Yeah. Uh, it was... It's it's all about climate change and fossil fuel and yeah. it, certainly some of the outcomes I think I read weren't particularly... I guess it was just more of the same and that is industrialized countries really haven't been cutting back fossil fuel consumption at least to hit the targets that originally were benchmarked for you know reducing carbon emissions. So... We'll see how that one goes. But maybe removing leaf blowers from the neighborhood is one step closer.
2: It's a start, but there we are. That's all I got for the neighborhood. That's
1: all I got for the neighborhood. Well, I just had to mention, too, briefly, before we jump into the main topic, our last episode, we had Mr. Bunny Savage on as our musical guest, and sure enough, there was Plibfest this past weekend. I did get a chance to go check it out. I didn't get to stay for the entire duration, but was surprisingly shocked, maybe not so surprisingly, that South Street was like completely ghost town it's the first time ever been down south street and there was actually parking on it but uh i
2: think maybe it was the temperature because it was so cold well yeah
1: definitely the cold will keep people inside but it just i don't know it's just not the not what i was expecting but regardless Plibfest was cool had a really good time saw some people so all right yeah nice so what are we talking about today mary angela
2: well, because it's Thanksgiving, I thought I would do a little myth-busting today. Yay! And I decided I wanted to talk about facts and fiction surrounding the holiday of Thanksgiving. Does this mean
1: we get to do experiments? No. oh
2: <laughs> Sorry. So, we all know this is not a secret, that um, the way... Americans think of Thanksgiving and the way we celebrate this holiday is somewhat problematic to the truth of the matter and also to the indigenous peoples who lived in this country or on this land um, far before any Europeans ever settled here. And right. I don't know about you, but my earliest memories of Thanksgiving involve little pilgrim hats and like turkey hands. Yeah,
1: and, you put your hand on the paper and you and, trace out your hand and, right, the, and it becomes turkey feathers.
2: Right. Yeah. Or you make a little, you know, Native American headdress and you wear that and everybody, you know, sits in Indoctrination. Kindergarten class and you yep. all get along and are all friendly. Like that's very much how I remember things. And it wasn't honestly for me as a child who grew up in the 80s, it wasn't until college when I heard for the first time that maybe that wasn't actually what happened. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that that's happening earlier now, and there are different schools because there are so many different kinds of ways of education now where people are learning this information a little earlier than that. But to me, it just shocks me that I spent the majority of my life at that point thinking a completely different scenario had happened. And then when I, you know, found out what probably really did happen, it was kind of like, wait, what? Why why aren't we telling us this? Well, because it's not a very nice story to tell. It's not something we often want to discuss but as we sit here at thanksgiving and and we are thankful for the things that we do have and the friends that we have and the turkey that's sitting on our table it just made me wonder like what else did we get wrong about this holiday like
1: everything like, right and,
2: and where did this holiday even come from have we really been celebrating it since the 1600s is that really something that happens so i'm going to start with kind of five Uh, easy myths about Thanksgiving things that you probably do already know Mm -hmm. but I'm just going to touch on so one myth is that in 1621 pilgrims held a a feast in Plymouth Colony to celebrate their first harvest they invited the Wampanoag Indians and everyone enjoyed turkey and pumpkin pie yeah (laughs) well (laughs) that that could have happened (laughs) that could have happened but nobody really knows and canned cranberries for sure right yeah (laughs) Um, Historians, including those at the uh, Plymouth Plantation, a living museum in Plymouth, Massachusetts, say that they do know that there was a feast that year shared by the colonists and the Wampanoag Indians, and that uh, Squanto was there. He had learned English and served as a translator. But it says the actual dinner says venison was served, not turkey, which makes... A lot of sense. It does say that some sort of fowl was served, but that Mm -hmm. doesn't specifically say turkey. Could have been duck. Could have been wild geese. Could it be? Could have been a lot. Fowl is a kind of broad. It's a bird situation.
1: It's a bird, right? And the truth is
2: that pumpkin was available, but it's not likely that the colonists whipped it up into a pie. Uh, Sweet potatoes were most likely unknown to the colonists, and cranberries may have been served, but definitely not as a sauce or a side dish. So mm-hmm. where we jelly. got these foods, right, definitely doesn't have any any rooting in history. It's probably more that they're seasonal foods, particularly for the areas where feasts like this like to happen.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, there's also some speculation that perhaps the feast didn't necessarily happen in the fall. that was a harvest feast, but it, it might have been at a different time of year, earlier in the year. So mm-hmm. there's some question to that. Okay, so myth number two, the pilgrims dressed in black and white and wore buckles on their shoes. Like, do you have any other image of a pilgrim? When I say pilgrim, isn't that what what you imagine?
1: Yeah, they sort of look like they're like representatives of, I don't know, some institution. Right,
2: Well, uh, that's actually not true. (laughs) So they did not wear black and white and buckles on their shoes. The women dressed in various colors, including red, green, blue, and violet. And the men wore a variety of colors as well. And there were definitely not buckles on their shoes because buckles would have been something complicated and difficult to make, right? You'd have to have a blacksmith. And at that point, Mm -hmm. blacksmiths were doing things like, oh, I don't know, Making hinges for doors and, and you Essentials know, right living, and, and weapons and and right and rakes for hoeing and things like that. <laughs> uh, myth number three, Americans have always eaten turkey at their Thanksgiving feasts because that is what is, was served at the first Thanksgiving. Do you think that's true or false?
1: Oh, I mean, it's totally false. But I, I wonder when turkey consumption became a thing.
2: I'm gonna tell you oh and it has a very interesting connection to Philadelphia as a matter of
1: course it does
2: it does so we have the 19th century author and magazine editor named Sarah Josepha Hale to thank for the Thanksgiving holiday we celebrate today okay do you know who Sarah Josepha Hale is
1: no, but I just like the way that name rolls off the tongue.
2: Well, she published the popular Goodies Ladies Book of Recipes, but she also published another ladies magazine that came out. I think it was a, a, a like quarterly periodical, mm-hmm. which was for like, like think about the early version of good housekeeping. That's basically
1: what it so was. So what, what era are we talking about here?
2: Uh, 19th century would have been like 1800s.
1: So was it before mid- or after Civil War?
2: It would have been right around the time of the Civil War okay. because she was the one who uh, lobbied successfully President Abraham Lincoln in 1863 to declare Thanksgiving an annual holiday and celebrated on the fourth Thursday of November every year. So she's the one who got Thanksgiving recognized as a holiday. And why would you think Lincoln would jump on this bandwagon and want to make it a holiday in 1863?
1: Well, I would think that you make a national holiday, right? It's during, during Civil War time. He's doing everything he can to create this sense of the union being together. Yep. So, yeah, I could see politically that could be advantageous. I mean, I thought... You know, when I, when I think about modern day, just the timing of Thanksgiving, because you've got summer break, right? And then people come off summer break, and then the weather starts to change. And then people seem to be, you know, they, they get into a mood. You need to start throwing holidays at people, make them happy. Here's some time off. Oh, and here, let's get together and have an excuse to eat some food and be happy.
2: Well, it's interesting. We're going to get into that in a second, but let okay. me finish my thought on Sarah Josepha yes, Hale. Yes, please. So she is buried at Laurel Hill Cemetery. She's one of the people that we do during True Tales, her story. It's oh, really? It's really interesting, oh, cool. her story and her whole legacy with the goodies, ladies' book, and various other things that she did. But she's, her biggest claim to fame is getting Thanksgiving recognized. And national holiday. So thank you, Sarah, for making that happen. Um, Number four, after the first Thanksgiving in 1621, Americans have been celebrating Thanksgiving every year since. This is where we get into what you were just talking about. So we do know that there was, you know, a feast in the colony in 1623. That was a little bit earlier, or I mean, a little bit later after that. So I was like, okay, we had another festival, but that seems pretty normal. You know, you have a good harvest, you have a feast, you celebrate, you're thankful. That's great. Exactly. As for 1621 being the first Thanksgiving, nobody really thought of it as like a formal starting a tra- holiday. tradition exactly. So it was just a celebration. Yeah, everybody kind of did that sort of thing, so that's not surprising. In 1789, um, George Washington made Thursday, November 26th, a Thanksgiving holiday, but only for that year. So while there were Thanksgiving observances in America both before and after this. Mm-hmm. Um, This represents the first to be so designated by the national government. So it was the first time that the government was like this day on this year is going to be a national holiday. But it wasn't like, let's keep doing this, because, as we just mentioned, it wasn't until 1863 that President Abraham Lincoln issued a proclamation making the fourth Thursday of November as a national holiday. Now, jump forward to 1939, Okay, so now we've gone from 1863 to 1939, and that's when President Franklin Roosevelt agreed to move the annual Thanksgiving holiday to the third Thursday of November. Why?
1: Is it timed with D-Day or something?
2: (laughs) No. To help the economy by making the Christmas shopping season a little bit longer.
1: That makes more sense. Right?
2: Bumping Christmas shopping back. Now, here's the irony. There was so much opposition to the move back another week that two years later he changed it back to the fourth thursday in november and what is ironic about that is that as we all know now christmas season starts
1: when halloween is over
2: (laughs) so like everybody back then in the like the 1930s was like heck no to this being bumped back
1: well it's it's funny is it like the christmas season starts to edge its foot through the doorway but it's not until after thanksgiving that It just kicks the door down. Sure.
2: No, it's true. But I just find it really ironic that people were like, no, we're not doing it on the third Thursday. It's the fourth Thursday because that's too soon for Christmas. And now Uh, we're like, Halloween's over. Christmas. Like, yeah, I mean, just I found that just hysterical. The presidential pardon of a turkey started with Abraham Lincoln when his son begged his dad to save the animal. True or false?
1: I believe so. Yes.
2: So it depends on how you define the term longstanding when you say longstanding tradition.
1: So it's kind of like ebb and flow. Like there have been some years where – or some presidents who are like, yeah, whatever.
2: Right. So we don't really think the true tradition started with Lincoln. We do think um, there is some historical, um, I guess, what do you call it, commentary um, on the fact that, that Tad, Lincoln's son um, – did form a friendship with the turkey that they were raising, specifically to eat.
3: Oh, boy. And then when
2: he realized it was going to be eaten, he asked his father oh to God. please, please, please save the animal. And Lincoln did.
1: What so- was the turkey's name? Did he give the turkey a name?
2: Uh, I don't know. It just not oh. say that. So uh, the problem is, is that historians have found that story probably wasn't linked to Thanksgiving turkey. It was likely a Christmas turkey okay. that he was trying to save. So that being when the tradition started is really, really questionable because truly we can only really remember it to, or we can trace it back to 1989 when President George H.W. Bush officially pardoned the first turkey. Really? So that was his first real official turkey pardon
1: yeah interesting and
2: ever since then every sitting president every year has pardoned a turkey yes so so really we can say that that tradition goes back to 1989
1: uh, what does that actually amount to you pardon a turkey does that mean you (laughs) let it go back into the wild and frolic among its its brethren and or do you just like hold off on you know putting the axe to it maybe another week
2: I think it's Ceremonious. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's just like- Make people
1: feel just a little less guilty about eating a bird for for Thanksgiving. This
2: particular turkey has been pardoned by the President of the United States and is now free to not be eaten this Thanksgiving. Does it
1: get like a medal?
2: I don't really know how it goes. I should have looked that up. Uh, I'm sure you can YouTube that business and see a presidential pardon of a turkey if you really wanted to. Mm Mm-hmm. I know that sometimes like newscasters comment on it, like if you're watching the nightly news or whatever, somebody will be like, today was the pardon of of this turkey. Gobbles the turkey. (laughs) I'm not really sure how it all goes. But anyway, Uh 1989, that's that's when that that started. Okay. So now I want to shift gears a little bit and start talking about some more problematic myths, the ones that aren't as, you know, whimsical and fun to debunk. But, right, but our our margin truth as well. So uh, the first one of these is that the Pilgrims founded a settlement on Plymouth Rock. So according to the stories you heard in history class, the Mayflower sailed to the new world and started a new life on Plymouth Rock. What your teachers didn't tell you is that the Mayflower ended up in the wrong place. They were off course. According to history, the settlers were aiming for Virginia. Right. But they ended up in Massachusetts.
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty far off course.
2: It's wildly off course. Yeah. In not only terrain, but in agriculture. Yeah. So what they were expecting to find there in Virginia. Right. Weather, agriculture, what they could grow. Right. So like talk about being put, no pun intended, between a rock and a hard place. You're really kind of... Stuck there. And originally, Plymouth Rock wasn't occupied. Normally, when Europeans sailed to the New New England or the, the New World in the mid-1610s, it was already packed with Native American communities. And there usually wasn't really room for new settlements, right? Because uh, right. the Native Americans were there. However, in Plymouth, the reason why they found kind of an empty territory was because an epidemic which they still to this day don't really know 100% what it was, but something wiped out the Native American coastal communities about three years before the pilgrims got oh, there. Oh, wow. And that is basically what happened. The settlers landed in a cemetery and immediately began raiding it for food and supplies. And that's according to National Geographic. So they found you know, lots of things there, villages that were abandoned, that had been you know sort Mm -hmm. of left as they were but then the settlers get there and they're like wow stuff we need things that we can you know use and help rebuild so yeah um so i mean the myth there is that they came and immediately met native communities which they did not they came to a very desolate and unfamiliar place because they weren't exactly where they were supposed to be uh the second myth is that the settlers were called pilgrims at all Right. Like how would how weird would that be to a, the history narrative that we know? Well, a, if they're a, not really A pilgrim pilgrims.
1: is kind of like a general term. Right. It's mm-hmm. it's someone who's basically on a quest synonymous with religious freedom or exploration or whatever. I mean, that's why they were leaving. Right. They were partly
2: sort of. So they were actually called saints or separatists. Right. That's really what they were called, because coming to the new world wasn't entirely about religious freedom. It's because the settlers had found that in Holland already, right? They had religious freedom in Holland. So that was fine. They were able to practice their religion there without a fear of persecution or violence. So these so-called pilgrims actually came right to to the new world because they thought Holland's secular life with its easygoing cosmopolitan atmosphere was too seductive for their children, right? It wasn't as strict and structured as they were hoping. It was too free. (laughs) They found too much religious freedom in Holland, and so that wasn't exactly what they wanted to do. We want
1: stifled religious dogma. (laughs) Let's head to the New World. It
2: was at the Colonies Bicentennial in 1820 when orator Daniel Webster used the term Pilgrim Fathers, and that's where the term then came to identify them. They weren't called pilgrims until then, until 1820, when he said that. Um, And I guess to your point of the definition of the word Pilgrim, it makes sense that he would call them that, right? They were coming here to make a pilgrimage, to start their way of, of worship and their religion here. Um, but it wasn't really to escape religious persecution. They had found f- the freedom of that in, in Holland. Right. Um, Thanksgiving was a major historical event historians believe that the first Thanksgiving in 1621 was just a regular English harvest celebration which is why there's very little historical record of the event according to National Geographic the Thanksgiving Americans celebrate didn't even become a national holiday as we mentioned until the Civil War so you know it really wasn't that big a deal it was like let's harvest some food let's eat some food together yeah we do that every year thank you right exactly it's a good thing But here's the interesting piece of this myth. The pilgrims invited the Native Americans to this feast. True or false?
1: Uh, Yeah, I don't know if it was like a so a formal thing, right? I I think the settlers were struggling desperately and somehow um, were able to establish some kind of kinship or relationship with tribal natives who show them how to maybe cultivate? I don't know. I'm. Um, um, this is my guess.
2: Sure. It's a really good guess. What we've kind of deduced now, and again, there's still kind of no real hard evidence because, you know.
1: No true historical right, record.
2: There, there's a historical evidence that a feast was definitely held in 1621, but there's no evidence that any Native Americans were invited. Mm-hmm. Um, if any Native Americans did attend, historians believe it is either because members of the Wampanoag tribe who live nearby heard the settlers firing warning shots toward their tribe or mm-hmm. because the Wampanoag leader was making a diplomatic visit to the settlers village, as you mentioned. Yeah, like which either one is definitely plausible. And they ended up there and it was like, hey, you're here. Stay for dinner. Um, you know, but it. The, the question, you know, calling it warning shots, we don't. I don't think it was that. It was more like celebratory. That was yeah. very common for Europeans to do, like fireworks, right? Yep. We're celebrating. We're going to fire off some gunshots. It's going to be great. And the Wampanoags are like, what is going on over there? Mm-hmm. These people have lost their minds. Let's go check it out. And then they're like, oh, food. Uh, pilgrims were nice to the Native
1: Americans. Uh-huh, yeah, I can't imagine.
2: Yeah, well, we just kind of talked about that at the beginning of this piece, I, I right? think
1: th- it was... A relationship out of necessity. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was any sort of mutual respect per se. I think it was tribal natives have knowledge of how to cultivate the land and resources. Let's tap into that. You know, I think about in any case where you had colonization happening in the in, in, in the states here That was sort of the foundation of establishing relationships with the tribal natives. I don't think it was necessarily to, you know, that they say European settlers saw them, you know, on equal footing.
2: Right. And you have to remember, as I mentioned, they landed off course in a place that was basically deserted with things left behind, but things they didn't know how to use, things they didn't know, you know, They didn't know what to plant. The things they were planting weren't growing because they weren't in a place for those to grow. Right. Uh, It was really really complicated. So it's definitely possible that they reached out and they were like, "Hello, we need help." And it is also definitely possible, as you definitely possible as you mentioned, that they also that the the Native Americans reached out to them because it would if if most of their population had been decimated by an uh, epidemic. Right. They're trying to rebuild. They're like, OK, there's also some evidence that th- these were not the first settlers in the new world. So Europeans had been there for a time before because there were certain Native Americans who could speak some English.
1: Yeah. Oh, pro- proving okay. that
2: they had already had contact in some way with some others. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it's it's definitely kind of a, a back and forth Um, we know from history that there were several skirmishes and there were some wars that happened between the native Americans and the settlers. So it definitely deteriorated. It's likely, you know, for various reasons, it might very well have had to do with them raiding the former villages. They might've been like, cool, we'll help you, but please stop taking this stuff from the people.
1: Yeah. Who died. I like, mean, please stop doing that. Especially if they're this. like burial grounds and such. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of sacrilegious.
2: So, yeah. It would have, Uh, it, it would have made things complicated. Now, Squanto. What do you know about Squanto? What do you remember being taught about Squanto? Nothing. Okay. Well, I do remember being taught that he was the translator, right? So whenever you see the Thanksgiving story, there's always somebody representing this character of Squanto. Okay. He's a person who knew a little English. He's the one who we we're like, hey, clearly you've met some Europeans before. You know a little bit of English. You can translate. This is helpful. Um, we At least I remember having it depicted to me as that that we were very kind to this person, that we treated this person very well because this person helped uh, the Europeans a lot and that this was definitely a good relationship. But the truth is, um, he did do a ton to help the pilgrims uh, and help them learn how to trade and teach them how to plant corn. So that's very good. But mm-hmm. what most kids don't learn in history class these days is that he was actually captured by the English later and then sold into slavery in Spain. Oh, boy. And by the time he escaped and returned to the New World, his entire tribe had died of smallpox. So it's like, thank you so very much. You know what? Now you're more valuable to us as a slave. So we're going to sell you. And they did. And then he escaped and he came back and everything he knew was gone. Mm. So that is a kind of sad bookend to a story that I always thought, you know, yeah, he was this this great guy that everybody loved and helped and it's kind of like, oh, that's not really how that went. And then nice. myth number 9 really interests me. This one says Thanksgiving was oh, a celebration really? of people oh, cool. coming together. And this is probably the biggest Thanksgiving myth of all. According to Business Insider, the nation likes to remember Thanksgiving as a peaceful harvest celebration that brought two communities together. But the reality is that relations between the Wampanoags and the separatists were definitely tenuous, as we've discussed. And if they did dine together, it might have just have been not quite willingly. What followed dinner was that a few hundred years of violent colonization and oppression of Native peoples in what is now America,
4: the effects (laughs) of which
2: are still visible to this day. The true narrative of what actually happened, trying to tie it together to the first Thanksgiving is just flat out not true. And it is kind of harmful in the way we... Yeah,
1: I think the sentiment is appreciated. I was listening to an NPR interview with someone who's a a rep from a native tribe who was actively trying to re-educate kids in the public school setting about some of the historically accurate elements to, to Thanksgiving. I think, again, separating the meaning behind it from this the story, which Yes. Yeah, I mean, just the way the story I recall growing up, the way it's told in school, it does sound a little picturesque. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not real. It's like I'm sorry. It's it's like Santa Claus, you know?
2: But I like the idea of the thought, the sentiment behind it. And the reason why Lincoln thought it was a good idea to do this, to bring the country together, to bring people together. So that, to me, is what we should hold on to from this holiday. I think we have to let go of the Thanksgiving story. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, totally. And, and, you know, we were talking about this just the other day about when you end up moving to, I mean, talk about a drastic move, like, to another country. I mean, it could be, like, across state lines. But when you talk about, say, moving to some place where, culturally it's vastly different than what you grew up with oftentimes people will in an effort to and i hate to use the word assimilate but will naturally adopt like i i'm jewish i you know i grew up jewish but my dad would tell me stories about how in their neighborhood growing up that they would actually celebrate christmas because it it just helped them to bond with the community that Mm -hmm. they're trying to be a part of so I can appreciate that. And and sharing in the, the celebration, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's just the how you contextualize it.
2: Right. And the reason, you know, I know some people are like, well, why do we need to keep remembering that? It was horrible. Why do we need to, to bring that up? And it's like, we, we don't need to bring it up. But we shouldn't change the narrative and change the truth of what happened because then something like that could happen again. And so we're not going to celebrate that. What we are going to celebrate is coming together and Mm -hmm. being a community and celebrating a good year and a good harvest. So...
1: That's the most important thing.
2: That is the most important thing. So happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I hope you've (laughs) enjoyed your gatherings with your friends and learned a little something about Thanksgiving myths.
1: I'm really curious, like what you're talking about, how some of these holidays over time evolve. Because the way we celebrate Thanksgiving now is probably a lot different than the way people did 50 years ago versus, you know, 100 years ago. And to see the evolution of that, I can't wait till we do some myth busting on Christmas. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> that'll oh, be the next yes, episode. Right.
2: Okay, we can do that.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> All right, so stick around, everybody. What we got something coming up? Yeah, huh?
1: we got uh, our good friends Sad Patrick and Bethlehem. Oh yay! Uh, that'll be joining us as our musical guest for "Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood." So please stick around. You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to What Do You Know About That? It's time for our favorite segment now, Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? And today we are joined by some really good friends of ours, Sad Patrick in Bethlehem. Thank you for joining us this afternoon.
4: Hi, thanks for having us. Thanks
1: for having us you guys are no strangers to radio you probably already know what questions i'm going to ask here but um and we have listened
0: to a couple episodes yeah
1: tell our (laughs) listeners a little bit about you guys because you you guys are like staples in the neighborhood i see you guys performing a lot Mm. at some local establishments so for folks who don't know please tell us about yourselves we're each pointing at each other So we perform as
0: Bethlehem and Sad Patrick uh, We're probably doing about a, a mixture these days With about 70% original, 30% mm-hmm. cover songs We do play a lot in the area We tend to play a lot in the warmer weather uh, yes. Because we wind up getting involved in a lot of outdoor things Be that festivals or neighborhood events, things like that Porch fest, uh, all kinds of things like that So,
3: yeah.
2: How, how long have you all yeah. been together? How long have you been yeah. making music? 10 years yeah 10 years yeah yep.
0: speaking of the neighborhood we met at an open mic that i was running at what was then the wired beans the original wired beans which is yeah. now melalani cafe oh, okay. yes. on germantown avenue yes yeah yep. yeah i had moved to the area and i had been uh living in the queen village area and moved out to this area and was looking for an open mic um and I was looking for an open mic that ended before 2 in the morning, and I wasn't <laughs> finding one. Yeah. Uh, you know, day job gets in the way sometimes. Yeah. But I was looking for an open mic that was um, ending before 2 in the morning, wasn't finding one. Went into this coffee shop one night and uh, just got the idea. Had the gear, mm-hmm. as you do. Had a couple of loud box minis and a couple of microphones and mic stands and managed to convince the owner to let me run an open mic there on Wednesday night, Thursday yep, Wednesday night? Nights. Yeah. Yep and um first night had one person in but it grew from there yeah and then one week bethlehem and her family came in and sang yeah and i heard her and i'm like that's a voice okay. <laughs> and one night she said she liked one of my songs I'm yes like, if you want there you go it. Yep.
4: Yep. yeah
0: that's so, how it happens <laughs> yeah. for sure and now that's uh that was two and a half albums ago and
4: yeah
1: a lot of performances yeah. between then and now so, Ten years yeah. wow yeah. So, yes. you by like tr- traditionally have been a vocalist?
4: Yes. So, I grew up in a church. So, I come from a very um, rooted family who uh, sings, especially both sides of my uh, family. My mom's side and my dad's side sings, but I grew up listening to my dad's side sing. So, the dope thing about that is so, my dad is like seven of them, but he has. Four brothers and so they grew up singing together and then he said when they were younger they would compete against his father and brothers singing together so these two generations like wow i just thought that was so dope so yeah so i grew up <laughs> listening to um uh gospel quartet style music so i grew up listening to sam cook and the soul stirs and mighty clouds of joy so yeah that's like my musical background predominantly
1: and that kind of feels like that. That really connects with the format for most of what you guys are doing. It's kind of like a mix of R and B. Little, there's a kind of a bluesy feel to it mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah.
4: Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: it, then in our in our CD
0: that previous to the one we're working on now, it's a combination of that, um, but with the same sort of arrangements, but with a lot of folk f- themes, right? Okay. Folk themes from the perspective of. Um, you know the lyrics and the, and the themes of the songs um being an immigrant in today's america trying to make it in the city um a good you know a good murder ballad <laughs> <laughs> <But> I, <laughs> things, things that you might normally associate more with folk music right mm-hmm. okay yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Is that coming from your your influence? Yeah, that's coming from my influence. Um, being along, you know, having really um, through my college years and after, listened to quite a lot of folk music, um, and having uh, gone to the Calliope School of Folk Music and Dance in Pittsburgh. Oh wow! And yeah, uh, which is really um, classes in the church basement, but still was a it was a great influence on me. So, awesome. And then um, long-time member of the Philadelphia Folk Song Society and attendee of the Folk Festival and all of that. Very so, cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now, what maybe you guys can talk about the dynamic between the two of you specifically when it maybe comes to songwriting. Now, I know you, Bethlehem, you refer to yourself as a vocationist. Yes. So yes. please tell our listeners
4: so a vocationist is a body percussionist and a vocalist infused because i used to go around saying that i was an acapella artist so i went to this one school one time i was doing um some work with the students and this one young lady this was years ago and this one young lady said so um like what kind of like what is the name of what you do i said oh i'm an acapella artist she said no i know that but what is the name and i said you know what honey i don't have a name thank you for that i need to come up with a name that specifically like describes what i do so then um i came up with vocationist like a vocalist and a body percussionist infused i do this thing simultaneously so yeah and the reason why um i started doing it is because i don't play any musical instrumentation now folks please because i i get a lot of feedback uh, for this like, but you are an instrumentalist. You you play your body, but I'm like I know that. But, um, when I say instrumentalist, I'm thinking of the more traditional. I don't play guitar, you're piano. playing melodic. Yeah, yeah, you feel me. So um, so yeah, so I started doing that. I mean, the body percussion because I don't play any musical instrumentation, but I'm hearing the rhythm and the melody and the music in my head. So I wanted to figure out how to convey that to my audience. So I went back to my roots. You know, I grew up listening to my dad and my uncle sing, but that's a group. So you know, they clapping, they stomping, one person holding the bass line, the other one doing the lead. You got the other three harmonizing. So I'm like, okay, that's cool with a group, but it's just me. So how am I gonna like so I made it work and my disclaimer was, listen, I'm an artist. So you're going to hear some weird sounds and some funny things. But listen, I'm working it all out and people would laugh. And then they would just give me like the freedom to to do it. And I think they would always give me the freedom. I just had to be comfortable with this freedom and take Mm -hmm. it like, you know what? This is what I do and I'm cool with it. So, yeah. And then it caught on. Yeah. It caught on. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So then, again, feeding back to the question, Mm -hmm. how, when you guys are writing... How does, like, say, a song evolve? Um, So it typically comes to me. um, Mm -hmm.
0: Most often I'm writing, I'm coming up with a chord progression that I can't get out of my head, right? Mm -hmm. I come up with something that um, I like the sound of, and I'll just play it over and over and over until a phrase comes to me or I look at an old scrap of paper I've got something written down on or an old note, and then I'll write the lyrics. And if I think it fits for us, because some of the things I write don't, Right. Mm-hmm. If I think it fits for us, I'll learn it well enough to be able to play it for Bethlehem.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I'll play it for Bethlehem, and she'll decide whether or not she likes it. Yeah. Um, most often, the songs, um, at least the lyrics, are as written, as originally written. From time to time, there'll be a case where we might change a word or mm-hmm. two, but not really much more than that. Yeah. And then, um, you know, from a melodic perspective, as you might be able to tell listening to my voice, we are in different ranges and we have different ranges. So I'll do the much more of a straight line melody for it mm-hmm. that most typically is following the chords. And then once I give it to Bethlehem, it just expands greatly from there. She takes it and makes it her own.
1: Cool. What what happens to the songs that she doesn't like? That... Um,
0: it, it depends.
1: Some of them I play
0: myself. Yeah. You know, every once in a while I play out as Sad Patrick, or if we're on a bill where we need to fill two hours, right? Yeah. Uh, perhaps an hour of that will be Bethlehem and Sad Patrick. Half an hour of that will be Bethlehem doing her solo work mm-hmm. because she has a lot of solo work as well. Yeah. And half an hour I'll do my own stuff. So. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So when it comes into the the songwriting. Patrick comes up with the songs. He presents it to me. He gives me like a very basic um, way of how the song goes. And I'm really grateful that Patrick uh, gives me the freedom to express it or interpret it, how I'm feeling it. But if I'm not feeling the song, I let him know, like, I ain't singing, (laughs) you know, like, nah, this ain't for me. And I think that's um, that's important because it's like, when we sing, people assume that I write the songs. And I'm like, nope, Mm -hmm. that's Patrick, but it's the way I connect. So I figure if I can't connect to it, I'm not going to sing it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No doubt. And I think that, I mean, not not to sound like, you know, Dr. Phil. No. Go ahead. You're good. The fact you guys can have a healthy, constructive relationship and take criticism and and be able to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Right. Right. Right? Yeah.
2: Well, I think I've also seen a lot of artists who don't do that you know what I mean who will just be like I need to crank out this song or this is you know I need need filler here and you can tell what those songs are I, I can't tell you how many times I've been at a show where like suddenly I feel that and I'm like
1: well, and I'm sorry because usually that's that's coming from the band right, leader, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, no, no. This is the song we're gonna do, and everyone's <laughs> right. like,
4: oh, okay,
2: right. And then they don't connect, and then you're like, wow, this band is not into they're this. Just at trying all. to get through the tune. Like, yeah, yeah. no. Yep. So I can appreciate. And when I tell you, decisions. I'm
4: a stickler for that, and I think it's because of where I sing from. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's not a a superficial thing for me. So even when I'm working with with four bands and we're doing a song and like I literally asked them like how do y'all feel about this song because I'm feeding off of y'all energy so if y'all not feeling a song we're not going to do it because I need all of us to be in sync so we can give the people an experience mm-hmm. but we can't give them that if y'all not really feeling it so yeah I, I honestly believe if it means something to you that's the best way to express it if it doesn't you just wasting time so yeah 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 totally.
0: and just to, to illustrate that further you know from my perspective the the thing that would most likely make me like in the middle of a set right we've got a set list we always have a set list mm-hmm. um, we figure stuff out ahead of time etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, the one thing that might make me say and let's not do that song is if I'm just not comfortable that I'm going to be able to play it well, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's one we haven't played in a long time, or yeah. I put it in the wrong place in the set and fingers or whatever. Right. Whereas with Bethlehem, it's much more... She's just not feeling that mood, mm-hmm. right? right. Yeah. And it's, it's rare. It's not like every other song, and it's not even like every other set. Mm-hmm. But I really respect that. She sees the song that's coming up in the set list, and yeah. she's just not in that mood mm-hmm. right. and it's either because of the way we've arranged the songs leading up to that right yep. ordered the songs leading up to that or just what's going on right and that's yeah. fine we'll move on to the next song yeah. so
1: well so you you mentioned you guys have got some recordings already mm-hmm. um and it turns out you've got some fresh recordings that you've just shared with us yes. that oh. will um uh be treating our listeners with this afternoon uh can you maybe we segue into that a little bit tell us a little bit about these tunes sure thing so these
0: are tunes we probably i mean we shared two or three with you we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 or 12 that we've been performing uh, probably written over the course of the pandemic maybe even a little bit before Mm -hmm. that we've been performing for the last couple of years that we had not recorded yet so we decided, I don't know, six months ago or so, mm-hmm. uh, that we were going to go ahead and finally record these. So we've been working gradually uh, on them um, at
4: Elm Street Studio. Sorry. Oh, in Elm Kasha Street Hockey. Studio in Kansai. Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep.
0: So it's a place and a person that Brett, uh, Bethlehem had worked with previously. Mm. On her stuff and so since they had a relationship established we went out there and it's it's been great it's been great so we're nice. um we're chipping away at these uh, we're probably in there once a week or once every other week for mm-hmm. uh, three or four hours uh, hoping that we'll uh, get these recorded you know sometime finish up sometime in the beginning of the year and decide whether this is a cd or it's all online or what it is we're right that out. Yeah.
1: cd what is that yeah exactly <laughs>
4: so and when i tell y'all so the challenge with bethlehem and sad patrick as a duo recording wise is finding somebody who got me Mm -hmm. i'm the difficult part in it because i do body percussion this is not a regular setup in the studio right right so it's like who do you get with that can really bring out the best in you studio wise so that people can really hear the effect of what these songs are supposed to be sounding like with me involved right and so it was through trial and error you know what i mean you go here it's like, oh, it's it's good. Well, it's good because you ain't got nobody to compare it to. It ain't like there's a whole bunch of vocationists out there doing what I'm doing, right? So it's like, oh, it it's good. But honey, when I told you, when I got with Brendan McGee and shout out to you, Brendan. Uh, we, uh, we, we, we
1: know Brendan. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yes. And it was like, so I had got this grant in 2019 for Arts and Justice and Social Change. So I came up with this concept years ago. But, you know, you have to kind of modify it to the grant. And so... um. This project, I I took um, childhood songs like London Bridge is Falling Down, Ring Around the Rosie, uh, One, Two, Three, Red, like this stuff we used to play when I was a kid, uh, Double Dutch, all this, and presented it the traditional way and then put my twist on it. So I'm writing words to these songs with... <sighs> the album is dope. Anyway, got with him and we started off in his like, he has like a studio kind of sort of in his um house. So we started off there in 2019. This is where I even knew I was going to get the grant. I was just like, yo, I'm going to do it. So we started there. And when he told me, like, I know exactly how to approach this, we're, it's going to be like a puzzle. You're going to do all these different percussion sounds or percussive sounds. And then we're going to kind of, I said, I have never. Heard anybody talk to me about approaching me. You're my guy. So after that, pandemic happened, boom. We get back in the studio, laid it out. So once I was sure, like, this is my guy, bringing Patrick in was just like cake, you know, because I was like the most difficult thing. So when I tell you these experiences at Elm Street Studios have been BOMB, all caps, BOMB, people, (laughs) When y'all hear this music, y'all going to be like, oh, especially if you heard our music before, y'all going to be like, oh, my gosh, y'all really found the sauce. That's the sauce. So, yeah, I just had to say that. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you do your own recording. Yes, I right. recording here. Yeah. But yeah. you know what that's like. I mean, the work is the work and the work is fine. But the actual experience of recording it. I would, no, I would rather have my fingernails pulled out. Right? <laughs> Our second experience, we went to Ooh, Rittenhouse Soundwork, Soundworks, and that was much better not being behind the right. board, right?
1: Um, that was lovely. So the song we're playing today is called The Language. Yes. Yeah. 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 Tell so us t- about just, it. Yeah, just really quick, and then we'll jump into the tune.
0: Uh, you know, it's it's all about how you can... Be with someone, be in a relationship with someone. You can both speak the same language, both be native speakers of the same language. And the words that come out of one person's mouth may not necessarily be the words that go into the other one's ears, right? Or may not be what winds up in the mind, right? So, and that goes both ways, right? So, how difficult communication can be, um, but how If you are committed to the relationship and committed, you know, how you can still be committed to the relationship and
1: committed to the love and want to be in it. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I love the title. That just kind of captures it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Let's listen.
1: Yeah. Let's do it.
3: Who can make this crummy old apartment Feel just like a
2: Great. That song spoke to me the first time I heard it, and and I knew that was the song I wanted to feature. Was
1: it the same words in the song that were going into your ear? (laughs) (laughs) No, it was great. Great tune. This is what's going to go straight on to your social media. I mean, are these officially finished songs? Uh, That one is an officially finished
0: song. I think the ones, I think all three of the ones that I sent you have. Were, are officially finished and and even mastered now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, okay. Um, they're going to. I'm not sure where. I'm not sure how they're going to go. I mean, the language is. Um, the language is up on Bandcamp, so people can go there and get it. The other ones that we sent you, and the other ones we're still recording, we haven't figured out how we're going to release them. Right. Yeah. Um, f- for whatever reason we still sell a fair number of CDs at live performances, Mm -hmm. right? So, and when I say a fair number, right, we're selling three or four or five, right? But still that's three or four or five. Um, Um, But I know that, you know, the cool kids are just releasing a single at a time now. Uh, so, maybe we'll wind up doing that. We haven't really figured it out
2: yet. but where can we find you on social media and out there in the world? Uh, it's to...
0: all under Be Sad Music. Not that we want you to be sad, but it's <laughs> Bethlehem and Sad Patrick. So, it's B E S A D music, right? So, it's BeSadMusic.com. And then on all of the socials, it's at BeSadMusic. Awesome. Nice. Fantastic. Where were you guys playing?
4: Johnny any gigs, any gigs, coming, gigs up? coming
0: up? Well, at the moment, we're taking December and possibly January off to really concentrate on the recording. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, we just came back from um, a wonderful event called NERFA, or the NERFA Conference. It's the Northeast Regional Folk Alliance, mm-hmm. which is part of Folk Alliance International. And they have an annual conference where um, artists and DJs and promoters and instrument makers, and really anybody involved oh, in cool. the music mm-hmm. industry, and and in, in this case, folk music industry, get together for a weekend uh, in a hotel, rent out the entire hotel, workshops during the day, uh, official performances from sort of 6 to 10 at night, and then private showcases from about... 10 till about 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So four days of that. Sign me up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we met a number of different, we we always, and this part of what we love is meeting new people at those, meeting new bands. Um, We're talking with a couple of those folks about doing some things in Boston and New York um, in January and maybe February. And then on February 15th, we're going to do our annual Day After Valentine's Blues show. So. Where's that at? Google. We don't know yet. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll keep our eyes open and
2: keep checking. <laughs> yeah. But Sad if you music. go
0: to okay. besadmusic.com, you can sign up for our once-a-month email. We'll let you know awesome. where we're going to be. We release new tracks that way, new videos, that sort of stuff. Wow. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Bethlehem and Sad Patrick, it's been a pleasure to have uh, you it's guys on the show. You. Thank you for so having us in your home. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we look forward to more music coming out of you guys. So. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody, for listening to another episode of What Do You Know About That? Uh, Please enjoy a safe and happy holiday season, and uh, we'll be back in two weeks.
2: Two weeks. And if you have any ideas for content or want to hear something on this show, please reach out to us at whatdoyknowgtown at gmail.com or on Facebook or Instagram
3: at That. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving.